0: Morning, and it's good to see everybody here today. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. rejoice in it and be glad. It's a discipline that we do to be able to come once every seven days and gather. And as Zach mentioned, if you're new, we're glad to have you here and be a part of our family. I'm going to lead us off in a prayer though and, and re-tag an announcement that he gave. Um, I just had someone and they were joking with me, show up and say, I thought today were the free hamburgers. I didn't know. So You got this invite card. I want you to take it out. I want you to hold it. So many times when we have a special highlight Sunday, we just sort of take it. Oh, I got a sticker there. Mike, I got your name tag. I hugged you too close, man. That's funny. That's never happened before. So um, you got the card. The weeks can come and go for a highlight Sunday. But this is really a spiritual thing. This isn't some big pep rally, some rah-rah, let's make it happen. There are real lives at stake. Like Zach mentioned about a guy he touched base with this week. This very hour, there are people that need the Lord. And some of those people that need the Lord you have a relationship with. Maybe you've asked them to come before. Maybe you've engaged a spiritual conversation with them and it really sort of didn't go anywhere and now it's awkward. Maybe you've watched their lives sort of meander around and heard them complain at work over and over again and inside your Still small voice thinking you're like, this person needs to turn their life to God. We are his missionaries. We are on mission. We gather once every seven days to worship, to look into God's word. But we are his hands and feet. And there is a person that God wants to lay on your heart. And whether it's through an invite card, through just a verbal word of invite, whether it's through forwarding on an email you got about next week, maybe it's um, the post we put on Facebook, whatever it may be that you can uh, share with them, you're on. It's you that gets to make the strategic ask. And some people are only want to ask away with coming to church with you, but it's really not about just coming to church, Right? It's about them being exposed to the opportunity to have a relationship with Christ. So we as the church partner with you in this ongoing mission. So you got your card in hand? Stand with me. We're going to pray for that person. I invited my neighbor this week. They're a believer, but I don't think they're connected well with the community of Christ. They're going through some tough stuff, physically and otherwise. I'm going to be praying for them and for others. You've got the name of your person. If you don't have a person, that's okay. You're going to have an exciting week because God's going to lay someone on your heart. Let's pray. Jesus... Through your spirit, we know that you are able to work in and around and throughout this valley and call people to yourself. And Lord, your spirit goes ahead of us. But you also have breathed upon us your spirit to send us out. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit, Jesus, would fill us to the full this morning as we are your missionaries to invite someone next week. Yeah, we can use the in and out burger kind of idea and the anniversary idea but lord it's the idea that your gospel changes and transforms people's lives and that you your death your resurrection the hope that we have in you can forgive us of our sins and our past can be covered as mentioned by your blood and and we can we can find our way to a new day lord me and any of us we just almost start to take that for granted for that person though this morning that you're leading us to this week that needs that covering that forgiveness that new relationship with you that encouragement in the body of christ may you burden us with the name of that person now and we lift that person to you in prayer Go before our conversation, go before the invite we send and draw people to you and Lord, when we gather next week, we will celebrate your goodness, and we will offer up the hope that comes from the gospel because you 've called us to steward the life transformation that can come through your life, Lord, we love you, we thank you that you get to use you that you chose to use us that you go before us through your spirit and your name God's people said Amen you may be seated these are my people I've seen a lot of things in this town things I don't like bad people taking advantage of the weak good people down on their luck Innocent, people suffer. I talk to God a lot. Sometimes, he talks back. So I ask him, when are you going to do something about all this? You know what his answer was? You wouldn't believe me if I told you. My name is Habakkuk. This is my story. Your Honor, I object. Have you ever wanted to say that? <laughs> Guess you have to be a lawyer to do that. Your Honor, I object. Now, I I didn't meet with a judge this week, but I was supposed to meet with a lawyer. I got subpoenaed. I'd never been uh, called out on a deposition before. And it was unrelated to me. And then I drove an hour and a half to West Covina for the meeting with the lawyer and he didn't show up. Lawyer, I object. Honor, I object was really what was in the heart of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is an Old Testament prophet. He was one of the minor prophets, 12 prophets and He was uh, one of the minor ones, which means there wasn't a lot that he wrote, but what he wrote is powerful. It's three chapters in a book at the latter part of the Old Testament. And Habakkuk lived 600 years before Jesus Christ, and he was watching the world around him, his nation, his country, Judah, decaying, falling into corruption and idolatry and immorality. And he had a really hard time with why God wasn't doing something. He spoke a prophetic word as it related for his own people. But then he come to find out that God had some different ideas that really threw him for a loop. And so he had this objectionable nature. But he had good intent in it. Habakkuk is somebody we can all relate to. He was a prophet who had a dialogue with God, and as surely as maybe Hugh this last one week maybe wanted to call up God and say, hey God, I got an issue, or hey God, I really need to talk to you. He felt he had that direct kind of dialogue and communication line, and he's really the only prophet that has this dialogue, at least it's recorded in scripture. And so the book of Habakkuk, it started off as we looked at last week with um, the understanding that he was trying to embrace and wrestle with God through this dialogue. And it's interesting because that's what Habakkuk means, to embrace and to wrestle. And so all of us have had those seasons, and maybe you're in a season like that now, maybe you'll be in a season like that next week. You never know what a week holds. But Habakkuk's complaint as he objected to all that was going on and what needed to happen was this. In chapter 1, verse 2, How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and in. And justice never prevails. The wicked him in the righteous so that justice is perverted. So this is his plea before God. His complaint before the judge, if you will. We summed it up last week in three things. Three questionings maybe that you've had or are having. God, you don't seem to care about what's going on with my life. God, you aren't doing much when you could. And God, what you are doing doesn't seem to be fair. And all of us have different things that we can relate with this. Maybe you applied for college of your dreams, but they said no. You interviewed for a new job, but they found someone more qualified. You asked God for healing, but the chemo didn't work. You prayed and prayed to find a husband, and after all these years, he has yet to find you. You asked her to marry you, and she said no. You sunk your life savings into a new business only to see it fail within a year. You moved across country to take a new job, but it didn't work out, and now you're unemployed again. You never intended to end up divorced, but here you are. You planned on having more children, but it isn't happening for some reason. You volunteered to serve on the worship team, but Joe seemed to have lost your number we all have challenges oh god why and what's going on it doesn't seem to be fair are you even there as we saw last week god came back the judge came back and he spoke and here's god's answer in verse five look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. It was like, oh, hang on, man, this is going to be good. God, you're going to raise up another great king that's going to write Judah. And we're going to rise back up and have our prominence like the golden glory years of King David. This all sounds good. I mean, what an enticing statement that God puts out there. And then he says this in verse 6. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings, not their own. And he dropped to his knees, possibly. Habakkuk did because that was not the answer he was expecting, not the answer at all. It would be like God saying, All right, America, I know you got some problems and you've really moved the direction of some corruption and immorality and indifference to me and you're awful on your own. And, and we pray, Oh God, bring revival to America. I mean, I, I, I studied revival and renewal movements in my earlier years and it's still part of my passion. God, revive us, Oh Lord. So we part named it the Awakening Church, Right. Wake us up from the dead. Rise up, O sleeper, and God will shine on you. Yes, Lord, wake us up. And then God comes, and he comes over the microphone this morning, and he says, hello, awakening. I'm glad that you've brought this to my attention, the corruptness of the world in which you live. And so I am going to raise up Isis to come and take over the Temecula Valley. I mean, it's that kind of startling. What? The Babylonians are, are terrible people. Why would you do this? And as we've all learned in life, or we are learning, sometimes God's ways are above our ways, and His thoughts are above our thoughts, and, and we're, we're caught in a quandary of what's going on. And last week, we threw out this whole understanding of the dip. Um, Seth Godin wrote a book referencing the dip as it relates to something else. But we took this idea of of the dip and we said that, you know, um, we could take this curve that dips there in the middle and rises up on one end or the other. And and we could sort of describe this whole um, Habakkuk word of needing to embrace, wrestle God in the terms of the dip. And if we started down here at the bottom of this curve, and it's the idea of this is someone who's a non-believer, someone who's not a Christian, and and God works in their heart, and and they come to a place where they decide to step across the line of faith, and they reach this incredible spiritual high because they're saved, and and God comes in their life, forgives them their sins, and and He sets them on a trajectory of fullness of spirit that they've never had before, and things just seem to be happening, right? All, All the lights align, the stoplights align right, Right on Winchester Road one day and you're just like, I am just really sailing with God, man. I'm on this spiritual high. But then some things start to happen and and things don't always work out the way you want. And you become a little bit disillusioned and all of a sudden you start sliding down this curve and you're like, well, where was I at on that spiritual high? Is God not there? Is something not happening that should be happening? And you get to this place and there's there's something major that ends up happening and you start to have doubts and you're discouraged maybe the job's not going the way it was the relationship's not going the way it was maybe something traumatic happened in your life friends you can pray for a guy that's new to our church by the name of sam that sits right over there and sam he walked in my office this morning and and he had a button of a little two-year-old on him and uh He said, my two-year-old grandson drowned this last week and died. He accidentally somehow roamed out of a a daycare and fell into a pond that was next door. And that was a week ago. And and he died on Thursday. And and his 39-year-old son was their only child. And he's just devastated trying to minister to them. He says, but, Pastor, I've decided this is my church. It's where God's called me to be for right now. But I just had to come tell you, could you just pray with me? Maybe it's that kind of hard-hitting event. What do you do? What do you do when that crisis comes? What do you do when a crisis of belief happens? Describe that last week, that the crisis of belief Henry Blackaby and experiencing God talks about it. Well, you have a couple choices usually, a couple three choices, really. You can you can try to jump back up here to a spiritual high and say, it's okay, I'm gonna get over that. Yeah, yeah, that happened, but Jesus' still on the throne and all that, and and I'm I'm just gonna try to live up here again. And and I understand that initiative and trying to think the best, but to just Be oblivious to what's going on and try to jump back to your spiritual high is not the answer. And the other idea is that you can just say, forget it. God, where were you? You didn't protect my little grandson. You didn't keep him alive, right? Something can cause you just to to crash back where you were from before. But when you hit the crisis of belief. Oh, God, I object your honor. What's going on? you go further down into the dip. That's the way to go. Because down in here, God begins to work in your life and he can bring change and renewal, though slow that it may be, and work in your heart. And you begin to see and trust him in some new and fresh ways. And you move to some higher level spiritually that maybe you've never been before, even though the pain's there and some of the memories continue to, to, to bother you from a week to week. God is working and you can sense him working and he's working and he's building intimacy In your life with Him, He's building trust in Him in ways you've never thought before. He's getting you to have your security totally in Him. This is the direction you need to go. But this is where you are the crisis of belief, the dip. I won't ask for a raise of hands this morning, but many of you could well say that's me. Are you in the dip? I know we talked about it in our life group this week. and Our life group and others spend time during the week discussing sometimes the message and what what's going on. What's the crisis of belief? You need a friend. I asked Sam today, I said, well, you're new to this church. Does your family have connections? Do they have support? Because we'd love to be of support, however. And they did, which is encouraging. But friends, when you're in the dip, you need to interact and challenge not only God. You need to be able to hear from others as they challenge you and wrestle with you. And I trust if you're counseling somebody who's in the dip that you're really nice. It doesn't mean you're not truthful. It doesn't mean that, you know, you can't lead them to some optimism. But that you're nice in the sense of climb in the dip with them sometimes. Sometimes people don't need to have answers. Have you learned that, men? (laughs) Husbands? Sometimes you just need to be a listening ear and get in the dip in the mud puddle with them. Be with people. But if you're in that place today, I want to encourage you because, you know, we said that God... In a strange way, as it says in James, you know, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must complete its good work in you so that you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so as we wrestle with what Habakkuk was wrestling with, not only in his world at large, but the people that were around him immediately. And then he was wrestling with God and trying to embrace God, but yet didn't understand God. He took consciousness of where he was at. And he did three things. In chapter 2, 1, it says this. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Now, it appears he had built some type of wooden watchtower. In fact, it's translated watchtower in some places. I take my watch, the station, the ramparts, and he's looking. And he's looking and he's trying to discern what God is doing. What's he going to do? What's up? And he's, he's not just looking. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. I will stand at my watch. And station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. And what answer I'm going to give this complaint. From this we have the first thing we need to do. Which is to listen. To listen. He's looking but he's listening. He's listening for God. We live in a day and age where we're not very good at listening. We can complain about our problem. We'll post it on Facebook. We'll tell another person and another person as if just bleeding on them, sometimes puking on them, is going to help us with our problem. Well, it's all right to articulate it to some people around you, and it's good to articulate it to God, but you need to get in a place where you can watch and you can listen. And if you're in the dip this morning, that's the first thing I encourage you to do. And sometimes it just needs to be uh, in silence. Sometimes it's by going to God's word and listening from his word. Sometimes it is seeking out some godly counsel. But you need to listen if you are in a crisis of belief if you're not on a spiritual high, if you're trying to discern how God's going to lead you out of this valley and get you to be an overcomer and bring you to a deeper place of intimacy and trust and security, you need to listen. And I need to listen as well. Oh, Lord, what would you have me to say? You know, as preachers, it's very easy for us to get uh, our head full of a bunch of words. And we can study and read and do this kind of thing. And, and I spent a little extra time last night, got up early today. And it just dawned on me that sometimes I haven't listened to God enough about a message. It's like, Lord, what do you really want to say to the people today? They're your people. They're not mine. And he reaffirms that which I studied and reflected on some. And then he'll bring something new Sometimes. Do you have that kind of relationship with God where you listen? You see, we like the book of Habakkuk in one sense because, hey, he talked to God and God talked back and it's written down. That's pretty cool. But he still speaks today. Sometimes we say, oh, God doesn't speak today like he used to speak in the old days. Well, maybe it's a different question. Maybe people don't listen today like they used to listen in the old days. How about you? Are you listening To God. Then the Lord replied. replied, Write down the revelation. And make it plain on tablets. So that the herald may run with it. So this leads us to our second thing. Write. Write. You listen. And then you write. Yeah. You get out a pad of paper. And you ask God. What are you saying to me? And you begin to write it down. Record it. Record it so that it can be passed back on, you know, that the herald may run with it. Why do we have the book of Habakkuk? It's because he wrote it down. He wrote it down. And maybe it's not a pad of paper. Maybe it's just sitting behind your little uh, uh, laptop and just saying, "Okay, God, what would you say to me? God says to me, dot, 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 listen. and then you're able to go back to it. Have you ever gone back to something you wrote down that God said to you before and you went, "Wow, I forgot all about that. He was faithful and true then, and now I look at things or or look where my heart, my spirit was then, and now where God's working at in my life." So you listen when you're in the dip and you write so that you remember what God's saying to you and ask God to give you words even to write so that you can take those words and bring them to heart. And all this is being done as you interact with God's word. And then the third is wait. little awkward, isn't it? It should be me up here looking at your faces going, what's he going to (laughs) do? You wait. You wait on God. You wait on him to work in ways you never thought maybe he could work. Or maybe ways you didn't want him to work, but yet he knew what he was doing. You wait. We're not good at waiting. I live close enough now to In-N-Out Burger working here that I can tell you exactly how many-minute wait it is for how long the line of cars. <laughs> there is a 15-minute wait spot, and I will not go to In-N-Out Burger if it's longer than that wait. <laughs> this is our wire, right? Fast food, other kinds I we need it now. We, but with a relationship with God, there are times when you have to wait. That's why it says this in Habakkuk 2 verse 3, for the revelation waits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Don't you love some of those postings if you're a social media person where they put up a video? I'm not a video person. It's like, oh, I got my baby. They used to watch a long video. But then they'll put the caption, wait for it. And you're like, oh, great. I'm going to have to watch this now. Wait for what? Right? And so you watch this in the second stage, wait for it, wait for it. <laughs> Here it is right in a back. And some of you need to hear it right now. Your, your life, what you're going through, the dip. Uh, hang on, hang on. Wait for it. Wait for it. And what are you waiting for? You are waiting for an appointed time. In God's sovereignty, he has at appointed time, it will certainly come, and it will not delay. So what do you do when you're in the dip? Three things: You listen, you write, you record it, and you wait. Now that doesn't sound all that exciting to you, maybe, but that's what the Scripture teaches, and God has his own timetable. And there's some things that can only be worked in your life and in my life through the crisis of belief and the waiting for things to turn, for waiting for an answer, for waiting for maybe God to show you something or refine in you something that you never knew that you needed to have. Know this, though, that God's delays are not God's denials. God's delays are not God's denials. Think of Moses leading the Israelites. Think of Moses waiting to lead the Israelites. Forty years. Forty years. Think of Noah. I'm to build an ark. A hundred years. The Apostle Paul Saul, who was struck blind on the road to Damascus, he's a pretty horse-powered-up guy, very intellectual, competent. He's an influencer. He's a leader. And after his conversion on the road to Damascus, three years in Asia Minor and possibly 14 years till he ever really, uh, 13, 14, till he ever got up to preach. So what, what are you so frustrated by? Wait for it for the appointed time. God's delays are not God's denials. Today is my wife Melissa and I's 29th anniversary. And if you didn't recognize the picture, that's Melissa and me. 29 years ago, getting in the car after the wedding, ready to head out to who knows where. But it was a heck of a ride for 29 years, the highs and the lows, right? You know, the interesting thing about our story, and, you know, I know it's been Valentine's weekend and and many of you men and women have, you know, commemorated your, your love for one another and gone out and eaten and had a good meal, interacted some, that's all great. Uh, But we sort of put them together, the 14th and the 16th. I'm not sure that was a smart idea because I really get caught in the middle on the 15th, feel liking I should do one thing for both, but that's not true. Um, So (laughs) we're going to celebrate our 16th anniversary today. We're going to head out of town and do a meal and stuff and spend some time together. But when I look back on to 29 years ago, that moment was one that came through a lot of wrestling with God, with one another, listening, writing, and waiting. We had this on-again, off-again courtship for five years. Uh, There's a little bit of an age difference between us, and and I was in my 20s, moving my upper 20s was... And I, I thought there was a lot of fun to do in life. And she was ready to get on with what God had put in her heart as she loved me. And, and, and I came back from some graduate studies uh, to my hometown. And, and she had taken off and moved to the East Coast because she said she was done. Done what? And we connected a little bit there afterwards. But I remember this one phone call in particular, and, and it was really tough because God was doing a work in my heart, and God was doing a work in her heart, even though we were that distance from the Midwest to, to Connecticut apart, because she went to be a nanny. And, and I'm like, okay, God, this doesn't make sense. I understand I've had a hesitancy to commit and to jump into this relationship, but I needed to give it some more time. I was trying to check out some other God things in my life. And she's saying on this phone call that she thinks that it's done. And I'm saying on this phone call, I think we're good to go now. (laughs) And she says, no, we're not. We hung up. And we didn't talk to each other for six months. I promise I would not her, But I knew what God had done in my heart. And God said in my heart, Carrie, you're to marry Melissa. I've got a future for you as a couple, as a family and in ministry. And you need to marry her. And she's like, see you later. (laughs) And if you really do our history, I deserved it. I call her after six months to say I'm coming to the East Coast to study. And I said, How would you like to do lunch or dinner? Just dinner, just lunch. (laughs) She said, Okay, just one. It went very well for a couple days that I was out there. We had more than just dinner. We took off, went to Central Park in New York City and while we were sitting beside some of you know this story, where we were sitting beside the uh, skating rink in Central Park, everything seemed to be aligning right for me, and I felt that she had some favorability, and I'd heard that God had done some work in her heart, and God done some work in my heart, so I grabbed a blade of grass, I circled it up, and I gave it to her, and I said, "Will you marry me?" And she said, "Yes." And we were married 29 years ago today. In a blistering snow and ice storm in Indianapolis, I remember that. She said God had worked in her heart. I said God had worked in my heart. And now we put it this way is, I realized that God had said to me that I couldn't live without her. But she had actually said, you know, Carrie, I don't need somebody to bring some type of change and transformation in my life. I can't be looking to a husband to bring me to completeness And so I've learned that I can live without you. And that was magical for us. But we had to wait. There's something about waiting for God, though, that you need to give heed to. If God's breathing and speaking to you is because you don't control the time frame. I mean, my family, my friends were like, what? You didn't talk for six months and you're engaged. What? I knew that I knew and she knew that she knew. That God was bringing us together, because when you're waiting, you're discerning His voice and His timelines. His delays are not His denials. Moed, the appointed time. It's an appointment. It's a fixed time. It's something that God has established, and it's going to happen. It's like a woman who is going to give birth. If the baby's coming, the baby's coming. It's the appointed time, right? Well, with God, he has an appointed time for things in your life. You may think he's delayed, or you may wonder what's going on. You may say, you know, I object, judge. But God's appointed time, as it reveals here in Habakkuk, is a beautiful thing. Embrace it, even though it may not be immediate. In the Living Bible, I want to read it this way and just listen to it. Verse three, but these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair. For these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. Some of you need to hear that today. Your life's in the dip and you're wondering, are things going to change? You wait for his appointed time. It will not be overdue by a single day. What you need to do is say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? How are you trying to work in my life? What are you trying to show me? Let's go on to verse 4 then in chapter 2. It says this. See, he Babylon is puffed up. His desires are not upright. So this is God speaking back to Habakkuk he understands the decline of Judah and their need to be disciplined. And so God's going to do that. But he's going to do it with these hideous, vicious, violent Babylonians. But God also knows that the Babylonians are worse than Judah. And so he's mindful of what's going on with them. And so if you read through Chapter 2, and we don't have time to do it today, you will find that there are five different woes that God speaks about. The first is the woe to thieves. In verse 6, woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. And the second is for the cheaters and deceivers. In verse 9, woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain to set his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. And the third woe is found in verse 12. It's for the violent ones. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. And then the next one is for the partiers. Yes, the partiers get called out. Number four, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. Oh, you step back a while. And then, woe number five. In verse 19, it's for the idolaters. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life or to lifeless stones. Wake up. Can I give it? Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold, silver. There is no breath in it. And we think of idols as as wooden stone kind of things. But today we have idols just equally as well, thinking that they're going to bring substance and fulfillment in our life, whatever that may be. And so God says, be careful, be mindful of this. I understand the Babylonians and woe to them. Their justice, their judgment will come. I will deal with them appropriately. And so back to verse 4. See, he, the Babylonian, is puffed up. His desires are not upright. This is in God's understanding. He sees things clearly. You don't have to prove to God the injustice that's happened in your life. It's one of the most blessed things I have in my Savior sometimes is to know that he knows that he knows. You know what I'm saying? He knows. He knows all things. He's omniscient. And he's been everywhere at every time, so he saw it happen. I don't have to explain to him, God, well, this is sort of what happened. Do you see this? It's like, no, I saw it. I saw it. I was there. I understand. And because he became flesh and Jesus Christ, he understands rejection. He understands betrayal. He understands so many things because he became one of us. And so God knows he's going to pour out his judgment and his justice on the Babylonians. He's got it. If you have an enemy that you're worried about that's not going to be held accountable, trust God in it. But then it says this in the second part of verse four of chapter two, and some people believe it's really the heart and the center of the book of Habakkuk. But the righteous will live by His faith." You see, they've got the woes to all these other kinds of people that then God says, "But then there's the righteous ones, and I know the righteous ones, and the righteous ones, they're going to live by their. what? Faith, Faith. He's watching and he's waiting and observing. And so, if you're in the dip, if you're in the crisis of belief and things maybe aren't going what you thought with God, this is what you need to do. You live by faith. It's a muscle you strengthen and you build. If you you want to have a good example of people that live by faith, there's what's called the Hall of Fame chapter of faith. Where is it? Some of you know. Hebrews 11. And just take time and read through Hebrews 11. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understood that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. We, by faith, believe and understand that God made this universe and everything in it. And by faith, Noah, when he was in an evil and corrupt world, he stepped out and he built that ark and waited. By faith, Abraham and Sarah Who were way past age when they could give childbirth. And yet God had promised them that he would bless all nations through them. But they didn't have any kids. By faith, they were given a child in Isaac. And then by faith, Abraham did what? He offered Isaac as a sacrifice because God was testing him. God says, no, no, I hear you. I see you. That's good. You don't need to sacrifice him. By faith, Moses... Took his people and they crossed the Red Sea, and the Egyptians it collapsed on them. This week there's a movie, uh, a documentary movie on Tuesday night at the at the uh, at the mall theaters on the the whole miracle of the Red Sea. Go see it if you're not doing anything on a Tuesday night. That's amazing. Is that really true? The documentary unfolds it. Yes, it could have been here and this is where they could have crossed and everything. It's historical. By faith, Moses led them across the Red Sea. By faith, they marched around Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. By faith, Time and time again, it was by faith. And if you're in the dip, in the crisis of belief, then you hang on, you wait for it, the appointed time. And as you're waiting for the appointed time, you're going to live by faith. It's not by stupidity. It's by confidence and belief in the one who created you and redeemed you and who is preparing a place for you. And you get to live forever with him into the eons of eternity with all of his plans, a new heaven and a new earth. I told Sam this morning how tragic it was for his two year old grandson to have died. But we will see him someday and in his full strength, you will see him again and will embrace him. Because we know by faith God's prepared a place for us. We live in this position by faith, even though we're living life in the dip. Hebrews 11. It's an assignment for you this week. And then try to put your name at the bottom of the list. Because he's still raising up faith-filled righteous ones. The just, the righteous will live by faith. And then if it doesn't happen, maybe some of the ways that you want, you need to take these three words right here. But the Lord. But the Lord, because if you go to the end of chapter two, at the end of chapter two, we have this verse. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were thrown into the fiery furnace. They weren't going to deny the Lord. And they said, even if he doesn't save us, yet will we serve him. But the Lord, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Things are not changing with him. And you go back to first principles, things that you know. God is good. God is holy. God is just. God knows all things. God is love. He makes no mistakes. The Bible is true. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. He ascended to the heavens. Someday he will return to the earth. The Holy Spirit is real. I am sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of my redemption. When he comes again or I pass away. God is always with me. All things work together for the good to God's glory. For me to become more like Christ. God will complete his good work in me. These are things that we know to be true and we embrace and we cling to God even though we wrestle with Him because He has called us to live by faith and even if things don't change. But the Lord is in His holy temple. I trust this morning. That if you're in the dip or you're climbing out of the dip or maybe the answers aren't coming even though you've been waiting in patient God time. The Lord is still for you today. How many of you would say this morning I'm in the dip? You just be honest. I want to close and pray for you. Lord this morning Across this room, there are people who are challenged with the season of life that they are in. God, we know that you can make beautiful things even out of the brokenness and the uncertainty, the fear that we might be living in. So across this room, Lord, I pray for those who are the righteous ones that they may live by their faith and that in their faith they will embrace you even though they wrestle with you and that they by faith will be able to see your glory work through their life whether in this life or the life to come God you will make all things right and we rest in you with that but Lord may your spirit minister your grace and your encouragement in a transformational spiritual way here this morning for those who are below that line But the Lord is in his holy temple. Lord, may you reveal yourself to them anew this week. And Lord, as we prayed before we began today, to pray for maybe a friend, a relative, a neighbor, a co-worker that we could maybe invite for next week. God, I pray that you would burden our heart to care about people that are in the dip and they have nowhere else to go. They want to jump other places, but they need to walk through it and they need a friend to walk through them with it. And Lord, maybe they need to be here next week to truly hear and understand what that verse means and two fours will focus on it, that the righteous will live by faith. And so Lord, we pray for those who are here today needing that strength and for those who maybe you'll bring by your sovereign leadership for next week. and heads bowed and eyes closed if there's anyone across this room who has never had that opportunity to cross that line of faith and claim by faith the work of Christ on their behalf and invite Christ in their life to save them, to change them, to redeem them. And then I pray that you will just pray that simple prayer of repentance turning from your indifference, your brokenness, your sin, and inviting Jesus Christ to come into your life. And then that even after this morning, maybe you can pray with someone back by the cross to invite your Jesus to come and live in your life. Amen and amen. We're going to close with that song that we sang earlier about how God can make changes and bring beauty. The ushers are going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well as your connect cards. Let's worship him for God is in his holy temple.